Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Julie Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. So good. You know, we've gone over the prodigal son story almost two months now. We've been talking about the, the love of the Father. We've been talking about the importance of us understanding this extravagant love of the Father. We say the prodigal son story is actually called the story of the extravagant father. Or it can be called the story of the two sons. There were two sons in the story, as we know. One son took his inheritance early and took off. And yeah, that's right, Jill, you, I'll call you up later. Thanks. One son took his inheritance early and took off and went and lived wild and spent all his inheritance and um, came back, realized that, you know what? I've done one thing wrong in my life. I never had the revelation when I was in my father's house that I was actually a son. I lived in my father's house, I took it for granted, and now that I'm eating pig slop, I realize for the first time in my life that I never presented myself as a son to my father. So I'm going to go back to my father's house, and even if I have to be a servant or a slave in my father's house, I would rather be there than eating this pig slop right now. And so he, he runs home to his father, we know that, and the father, as Pastor Phil has said, you know, he picked up his skirt and tucked it in. He lost all dignity when he saw that son coming. He wasn't out to tell him off, to to rebuke him. He'd stopped the city people from throwing a big bowl of what they called slop. They had a big bowl of slop. And if the son that had gone away dared to try and come back to that town, the townspeople would get a big bowl of slop, they would run to the city gates and they would throw it over his head and they would declare that you are dead and you are never coming back here. The father knew that was going to happen and he ran ahead of the son and said there's no way they're going to do that because my son was dead, he declared, but now he is alive. And he didn't accept him as a servant or a slave, but he was so thrilled that finally this son had got the revelation that you're not a servant in my house, you're not a slave in my house, you're my son. And he wrapped his arms around him. The Bible says that he put his face into his son's neck and wept that his son had come home, that his son had finally got the revelation after all the years of living in the father's house, that he wasn't a slave, he wasn't a servant, He wasn't just a nobody. He was actually a son. The father puts the the robe around his shoulders, the robe of righteousness. He puts the shoes on his feet because if you have no shoes in that day, it meant you were a slave. He said, no, you're not a slave. You're a son. He put the ring on his finger, which said, now you can do business. You can do business in the father's name because you've had a revelation that you are a son. You now have the authority and the anointing to do business in the Father's name. Is there any 
Any, anyone that would be surprised that the enemy in this day would be trying to stop the church, try to stop you from understanding that you are a son or a daughter of God. Because he doesn't want sons and daughters of God with, with the ring of authority going and doing business in the Father's name. He wants to contain the church. He wants to contain everything. He doesn't want you to know who you are. And so he's been on a on a on a on a a journey your whole life, sowing seeds here and there and lies here and there. From the, from the time you were conceived right till this day, he has sowed a web of lies that have held you back from understanding who you are as a son or a daughter of God. And then we have the other son. And the other son's he's there. He hasn't left. He's been a good boy. He's behaved himself. He's kept all the rules. And he's never left. He didn't want his inheritance early. He's the good son. And when this other son comes back and the father's celebrating over the other son and he throws a party for the son, the oldest son, what does he say? Father, well, you've never thrown me a party and you've never given me a ring and you've never given me a robe and you've never put shoes on my feet. What is it, father? And the father looks at his son I would expect with tears in his eyes. He says, son, this has always been here for you. But you never positioned yourself as a son in my house to receive the full inheritance. He says this, in these words, the son says, I have slaved for you all these years. How many people do you think sit in churches slaving for the gospel, slaving for the kingdom? Slaving for God. I've slaved for you all these years. I've done all this stuff for you. You know, in, in the book of Revelations, it says, they come to him and they say, you know, let us in the door. And he shuts the door. What is the problem? Why are we outside the door? He says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And that word knew there in the book of Revelations is the same word as an Adam knew Eve. Adam was intimately acquainted with Eve. Jesus was saying, depart from me. They said, but Jesus, we have done miracles in your name. We've done signs and wonders. We've slaved our guts out for you. And he says, depart from me. For I never was intimately acquainted with you. See, there's an inheritance that's waiting for every one of us. And it's up to us whether we partake of it. And to partake of it, we need to address the lies that the enemy has placed in our lives and walk through into freedom, into the glorious freedom of the sons and the daughters of God. That glorious freedom when that son ran home to his father. Can you imagine when his father, as Cam said, opened his arms up? And, he, and received him home when he knew he didn't deserve any of that. But see, it isn't about what we deserve and what we don't deserve. It isn't about how good we are. It isn't about how much we do. It's about a father who sent a son to die on a cross and represent on the earth what a son was to us so that we could be restored to a father. It's about the story is about a family. It's not about a religious organization. It's about a family. And there's a father 
and there's children and there's sons and daughters and there's revelation and there's inheritance and there's things that we need to do on this earth today that we can only do if we get the revelation that we are sons and daughters of God. To get that revelation, we need to deal with lies. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father, as Parsonville said, except through me. He said, I am the way. He said, I am the truth and I am the life. And you know what? We come to the way. Jesus, I'm saved. I have, I have this portion of my inheritance. I am saved by the blood of Jesus. But we never enter into the fullness of the truth so that we can have the life because we get stuck we get stuck in our lies and in our mistruths. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's a strong message. You know, um, little Moses was born, and um, it was a really beautiful moment to see my second daughter have her first child, a little boy. And they didn't tell us what he was going to be named. They didn't, we didn't know it was a boy or a girl to start with. It was a surprise. So we didn't know what we were going to have. And I was there during the birth with um, Jess and Ev and Julie. They let us both in the room. And it was an incredible, incredible experience. And I loved every moment of it. But we didn't know what we were going to have. We didn't know what it was going to be. So, because when he was born, they put him straight onto Jesse's chest. And everybody's going, oh, we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. It was a beautiful baby, beautiful baby. And then Evan says, well, what is it? You know, and Evan lifts his little leg up, you know, and, um, and goes, whoa, you know. And, uh, and then Jesse and Ev looked at us and looked at me and said, Mom, his name's Moses. And I, I was just, wow, I was not expecting that name. But after little Moses was born... And, um, you know, we got everything organized so that Dad could come and have a look, Pastor Phil. And he walks into the room and, you know, as usual, he, he, says, he says he never cries, but he's, he is a sook these days. And he's crying and he's just looking at Moses. Moses is so perfect. Moses is so beautiful. And after it all settled down, he sat down and Jesse handed him this envelope. She said, Dad, I... I I want you to know that I wrote this before Moses was born, that if we had a boy, I wanted to explain why we called him Moses, and she gave it to, to Phil. It's really small writing. And it says this, To Dad, Poppy, well, we have a son. What a blessed day. What a blessed boy he is to be born into a family of such rich heritage, a family full of loving, God-chasing, loyal and faithful grandparents, aunties, uncles and cousins. Moses means to draw out. When we first came across the name Moses, I especially loved it, as Moses has always reminded me of you, Dad. When God asked Moses to free his people, he thought there were other people better suited to the task people stronger, more eloquent, and better educated than he. But God chose Moses because he knew that he could work through Moses, that Moses' character 
and obedience to God's voice would see him through any challenge. Just like when God called you, Dad, and you looked around to see who could go. You looked around to people you thought would be more experienced for the role, but God chose Phil. And in your love for God in obedience, you took what was in your hand and you said, yes. Look what has been accomplished from a man fully relying on God who simply said, yes. Amazing things. Evan and I deeply admire how you have lived your life as a husband, father and pastor, always putting God first in everything you do. We couldn't think of a better role model and poppy for our for our son to look up to and hope that he grows into a man just like you. A man pure of heart, full of bravery and character, with a pioneering spirit, ready to say yes to God's calling. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? And God said, I will be with you, and I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent me to you. Exodus, 11, uh, Exodus 3, 11 to 14, all our love and admiration. Jess and Evan, baby Moses. <laughs> like that is, do you not know how special that is to, as Jess said, pioneering parents who we are first generation Christians? That we never had that handed to us on a silver platter. It was, it was not something that was given to us. It's something we had to fight for with everything that we had. And we fought for it and we said yes. We said yes at every turn. We said yes in every space so that our children and our children's children could carry on the blessings that God had given to us. But what would happen if Moses gets to an age and just says, I don't want that? In fact, I, I want my inheritance, but I'm going. Or I'm in my father's house, but I don't have a revelation that I'm a son. What would it be like for us to see Moses not take advantage of what's being given to him and the price that has been paid for him to be a son of the Most High God? And I just think, what does God think? Our Father God, when he looks down on each one of us, when he saw us the day we were born, when he saw us when we were in our mother's wombs, and he had the plans for us drawn up, it says that, Every day was written in his book before one of them came to pass, that he had a plan for you, that he was dreaming about you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. He had a life for you, and, and he's got it all. He's got the whole inheritance there for you, and he wants to give it to you. He wants to hand it to you, and, and, and your, the lies that the enemy has planted inside of you, the insecurities, the rejection, the pain, the stuff that you've lived through, it makes you do that and that and that and that and that and that and that. And so we come to Jesus the way, but we never come through the truth into the life. We get stuck there. But Jesus said, I have come to bring life in life in abundance. He's come to bring freedom. Amen? So let's have a look at Jesus' life quickly, and then I'm going to go on. Romans, I just want to read this to you first. Romans 8, 14 to 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Are we being led by the Spirit of God this morning? Do you think that God is really speaking to us this morning? 
Is this the Spirit of God speaking? Is he speaking deeply into our hearts? Is there a groaning down inside of us that we know that we need to get closer to him, that he is longing to love us more, that he's got so much he wants to give us? For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading you to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba means Daddy. It's the most intimate word that you can use for a father is Abba. It's the most intimate word you can use for a father. It's like daddy. It's, a, it's, it's an incredible word. It says, by which we cry out, Abba, daddy, father. The spirit in, himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the spirit also Inwardly groan, this is in Romans 8.23, as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. Our full status. What would it be like if the body of Christ, right across the earth, heard the call to stand and rise up and stand in their full status as sons and daughters of God? Honestly, the, the earth is about to be awakened by a huge awakening. And we think that it's just going to be God pour something out and things are going to change. It, the awakening is going to come from within the sons and daughters. The sons and daughters are going to be awakened to who they are. And then God is going to be able to send us out with this love, with no barriers, with no bars, with no holding back. Because, yeah, I'll go there in a minute. Look at this in Matthew 3, 16 to 17. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God wants every one of us to experience his voice. Because once you get on the inside of you, my dad said, there's no stopping you. My dad said he's pleased with me. But look what happens straight away. This is directly after he's been baptized. Matthew 4, 1 to 11, it says, Then Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, listen to the words that the tempter says. If you are the Son of God. The very first thing the tempter says to him, the very first thing that he wants to steal for him, from him, is if you are. Jonathan, if you are a child of God. Jonathan, if you are, what was the very first thing that, they, that he said to Adam and Eve in the garden, to Eve? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat the fruit. Did God really say he's always challenging this relationship that we have with our father because he never had it. See, he's, he's a created being. Satan is a created being. He will never be a son. He will never be a daughter. We have something that he does not have, that we are made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. You are a true son and a daughter of God. He has placed you in a high place. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he calls you to that space. 
He calls you to sit where he is, to be where he is in the space that he is. Amen? Are you really the son of God? If you're the son of God, then do this. If you, Rachel, do you think you're a daughter of God? Do you think you can raise a youth group out of the ground? Who do you think you are? I've got stuff on you, Rachel. I've got stuff. I've got hooks. Do you know that? I've got hooks. And you try to move forward with this youth group. I'm just going to hook that old pain, that old memory. I'm going to hook it in. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you believe my lies. Because if you believe the truth, you're unstoppable. You're unstoppable. And the enemy knows that. And so we can read on in that, that scripture that he tempts him three times, continuing to try and break down the fact that he is the son of God. That's who he has been. Amen? And that's who he has been called to be. In the end, Jesus says to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do you know that when you bow your knee to the lies of the enemy, you worship in the enemy's lie? But Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then what happened? Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Submit to God, resist the devil, And he will flee. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee. Amen. Look at this in in John 8, 42 to 45. I'm just building a case in. Then we're going to go somewhere. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the disciples that are sitting around him. And Jesus said this to the Pharisees. If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come from God, I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you, church? Why can't you hear me? Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Listen to this. Because when we listen to him, we're listening to a different father. Is that true? When we're listening to the devil's lies, we're listening to a different father. And we have to learn to discern the voice of the true father. And we have to learn to discern the voice of the one who pretends to be our father, and he is not. And we can give him no right to be our father. Listen to what he says here. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. Nothing. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow. Wow. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. It's amazing how many lies get woven into our lives, through our lives, that cause us to have a different response in our relationship to our Father in heaven and then in turn a different response to our relationships on earth and in turn a different response to how we feel about ourselves. Amen. Is that true? Lies have been woven into our lives to stop us truly knowing the Father to stop us truly loving each other, to stop us truly loving ourselves and to stop us working out what authority we have 
on this earth. Amen? In Matthew 22, 36 to 40, Jesus says this. They said to Jesus, sorry, they were asking Jesus, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? They were trying to trip him up. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with... Do you think, why would God say all so many times? When Jesus repeats a word, we have to take notice. We can just skip over it and go, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And we just focus on heart, but he focuses on all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What is your soul? Anybody know? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. We're three-part beings, right? We're spirit, we're soul, and we're body. And he's saying, you've got to love me with every bit of that. And our soul is our earthly part of us. That's the part of us that is continuously being redeemed. Our spirits, when we're born again, perfect that day, perfect. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. How many of you think that our mind and our will and our emotions need redemption? How many think that our mind, our will, and our emotions need truth? How many think that our mind, our will, and our emotions are, are covered in lies? Huh? Even Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be possible, Lord, then let this cup pass from me. He knew what it was like to struggle as a man between the will of God and his own will. There were two wills functioning in the Garden of Gethsemane. There wasn't one will. There was two wills. It was the will of the soul and it was the will of God. And Jesus wrestled with that in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says to the point where he sweat blood. And then he says this, No, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Not two wills, but one. See? So when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your spirit, with all your spirit, that's easy. We can do that. We're born again. Our spirit just naturally loves God. With all your soul, that's the heart of heart. Because the soul wants to rule and the spirit always seems to come second and we need to put the spirit first. Amen? And with all your mind. What? My mind? If you ever got inside my mind, you would say it's a lost cause. I mean, how many of us, especially in the day we live in, you know, it's just so much stuff going into our minds. And why do you think the enemy is the prince of the airwaves? The prince of the air. You know, because mobile phones and. I mean, just. All of us being bombarded, 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 trying to get our minds away from God. Because if you have a sanctified mind, if you had a mind that stayed still for five seconds, you'd be able to hear God saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Anybody listening? You know? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind and your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. How hard is it to love your neighbor if you don't love yourself? How hard is it to love God if you don't love yourself? Because God is the one that teaches us to love ourselves, but when we don't love ourselves, we run away from God. 
We run away from the one who can set us free. We run into captivity. We're like the prodigal son. It's like, I want to be loved by you, God. I want to be loved by you, God, but I don't like myself so much that I'm running and I'm going to go and I'm just going to eat the pig slop because that's all I'm worth. That's all I'm worth until we get the revelation that we've got to run back to the Father as the lies are broken. I want to love my neighbor. You know, we had uh, 22 uh, beautiful souls in here on Thursday at our C3 Cares lunch. And a lot of them were from the roughest street in Wyong. And it just, it just did my heart so good. Sarah Harvey, brave little girl that she is, went door knocking in, in Maple Circle, the roughest street in New South Wales. And she, 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 she's this Cam's wife. She's a little pocket rocket. I wouldn't go there. She went there. And we had two huge tables from that street come in and families, a single dad with all his kids, a single mom with their kids. And I cooked a big pot of stew and they're eating my stew. And they say, you know how long it is since I've had a home-cooked meal, darling? You know, this means so much to me. We gave them bags to take home and food to take home. I mean, I want to love my neighbor. Who wants to do that? Huh? And how beautiful it is to love someone without any agenda, without any without any fear, without any holding back, without accepting them. And I, I got up to speak to them and said, you know, I don't want to preach at them. I just want to share God with them. I want to share love. And I got up to speak to them and I said, so, you know, welcome to our house. You know, we want you to understand that you are all children of God. And because you're children of God, you deserve to be fed at a rich table. You deserve to come into a place that's like a home for you. You, you deserve to know how much you are loved. But see, I couldn't do that if, if, if I had any kind of, you know, lie inside of me. We need to the truth. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus said this in John 8, 31. He says this, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples. And listen to this. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you know he said that directly after he exposed what a liar Satan was? And that was his language was lies. He was telling him he's a liar, he's a liar, he's a liar, he's a liar. But if you listen to me, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Amen. And I know many of us in this room, we've probably gone through, you know, many years of, of destroying lies in our lives and exposing truth. Many years. But I'm telling you, God wants us to completely set free. He wants us completely free. Amen. Yeah. And we talked about last week how it's, you know, so much of the upbringing that we've had has really affected us and affected our thinking. And I think if we can look at some statements today, what, what gives me, what makes me operate out of an orphan heart? And how can I change that to operate out of the heart of a son or a daughter? Amen? So this is the first one up here, and I'm going to give you these to take home. When we look at the image of God, when we see the image of God, 
I want you to close your eyes right now and I want to ask you this question. When you look at the image of God right now, God's standing behind, before you. I want to ask you this question. Do you see God as a master? Do you see him as someone who's demanding things of you? Do you see him as a master? Or do you see him as a loving father? And Father, I ask right now that you bring fresh revelation to our hearts. That you would open eyes, that you would remove lies. Lies of religion, lies of fathers and those in authority over us who have, who have been masters over our lives, who, has, who have been you know, rough with us. Father, we ask you that you bring fresh revelation this morning. That you're not a master, but you are a loving father. I ask right now for the presence of God to flow right through this room. Father, would you love your children right now? Would you come close to them right now? And would you see them as a loving father? Would they see you as a loving father? I know that you long to love them, Father, and I ask you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father God, break down the walls that separate us. Then we look at the area of dependency. If I have an orphan heart, I'm independent and self-reliant. But if I have a heart of sonship, I'm interdependent and I acknowledge my need of God. So just close your eyes right now. And just say, God, we acknowledge our need of you. We, we don't want to be independent, self-reliant, always thinking that we're alone, that we're alone, that we have to struggle through life on our own when you are right there with us. You're our daddy God, Abba Father, the one who never leaves us or forsakes us. You are the one who is with us. And today, Lord, we just say, Lord, we want to be reliant on you. We want to acknowledge our need of you. We want to acknowledge you. We trust you. Trust is a big word. We trust you, God. Why don't you just say that right now? God, I trust you. Help me to trust you. Come on, just say that. Help me to trust you. And show me the areas in my life that I need to change so that I do trust you. Thank you, Jesus. In the areas of theology, the orphan heart will live by the love of the law. We have to do everything right. Everything has to be right. We have to live by the love of the law. And that's very much what the Pharisees and Sadducees were like. They lived by the love of the law. But the heart of sonship lives by the law of love. Everything is about love. Everything is about grace. We come under the grace of the written word of God. We come under the grace of the boundaries that he's put in our place for our lives. The boundaries that are being put there because he loves us, not because he wants to lord it over us, not because he wants to be a dictator, but because he wants to protect his children and love his children. So just close your eyes right now and say, Lord, please give me a revelation of the law of love and grace. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. 
We thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The next one is security. An orphan heart will always feel insecure and will always lack peace. Now we wonder why right now in our society we have so much depression and anxiety. We have so many people that, you know, really are on medication, young people, so many people on medication for anxiety and depression because we're living with orphan hearts. But if we could come and bring everything, all our troubles to God like David did and come and and say, Father God, I know you see my world and you know what it's all about, but I just release all my world to you, Lord. I come into a relationship with you as my dad. And I know, Dad, you've got everything in control. I know I don't have to worry about anything. I know you've got me. You've got me. You hold me tight. Right now, just close your eyes. I want you to see yourself being held by your Father God, just being held by Him. He's got you. Do you know that? He's got you. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the one. He is the one who gives you identity in your insecurities. And Lord, I pray right now that you would give us a heart of sonship that would come into rest and peace. You know, the Israelites didn't enter the promised land because it said they didn't know how to enter into the rest of God. They couldn't trust him. They were always complaining. They were always whinging. They were always forgetting the good things that he had done for them. Rest comes out of thankfulness and rest comes out of remembering what God has done for you. We enter into his rest by knowing that God has got this. Just close your eyes right now. I want you to say that God's got this. God's got me. God's got my kids. He's got my grandkids. God's got my schooling. God's got my education. God's got my job. God's got my life. God's got the plan. God's in control. Right now, I just want you to say, I give up control of my life and I place it in the hands of my Father. I now enter into rest and peace. The need for approval, the orphan heart strives for the praise and approval and acceptance of man. How many of us do, I mean, especially Aussies, we have to be real about this. We just run around, we're just, we just looking for someone to say, you know, you're amazing, you're fantastic. That's what Facebook is all about, isn't it? Instagram is all about. I put, so, I put my best picture up there. I just put the best picture, I doctor it, I do all the stuff, I get rid of my wrinkles, give me fatter cheeks, give me bigger lips, and then just say, everybody, isn't she gorgeous? She's nearly 60 and she's so beautiful. You know, that's what I want everyone to say because we're all, we're all like that. We're all crying out for approval. And that is because if we do not get our Father's approval, we never receive our own identity. If you never hear the Father say, you are perfect, you are beautiful. You are, you're an amazing young man, Andrew Flaxman. You know, you've got this. You've got life. You know, you hear your father, God, say to you, son, I am so pleased with you. Son, I know the plans I have for you. I'm going to fulfill them. You're a perfect son because you're so obedient to me. And we're going to do this together. And I've got your family. I've got your kids. I've got your finances. I've got your future. It's in my hands. 
You know, there's something so beautiful about that when we don't have to strive to please someone else, when we don't do get the money so that we look good, so we don't get the good job so that we look good. We're always trying to please that Father's voice that we never had. Now, our fathers, even the most perfect fathers there are, there is none that are perfect because the Bible says they do the best with what they have. But if we don't receive our identity from our father, a boy the age of 12, a girl the, uh, a girl the age of five, then we strive our whole lives looking for identity. We strive our whole lives waiting for that one dad, that one person to say, you got this. But when we stand like Jesus did in total obedience, because Jesus was a son who never had an earthly father. He was a father who never had an earthly son. He was a husband who never had an earthly wife. He was the perfect example. His father and his inheritance was David, murderer and an adulterer. And yet he could stand before God. Jesus could stand before God, our perfect saviour, the perfect man. And he could say this, This is my son in whom I am well pleased, says his father. This is my son. And he was saying that to say, this is what I want to say to every one of you. Because you're all my children. Amen. So when we come into the heart of sonship, we're totally accepted in God's grace and justified by grace. We're totally accepted in God's love and justified. We boldly come before the throne of grace. You know, like this morning, you know, I saw my my little grandchildren, all the children here, but my my little granddaughter, Paris, I mean, I don't know if you saw her. She was going like a nut. She was just like, the praise where she's on, she's just like, she's like doing, she didn't give a rip who was looking at her because as far as she's concerned, She's grown up learning that when she comes into the house of God, she can boldly come before the throne of grace. I mean, I've got video of her as like a one-year-old, lost in worship, standing on the altar as a one-year-old. Doesn't even see anybody else, just lost in worship. And you can tell he's right there with her. You can see it on her face. She boldly comes. She's been brought up like that. This is what we need to do. Amen. Then the motive for service. In the orphan heart, there's a need for personal achievement as you seek to impress God and others or no motivation to serve at all. Oh, I've served and I got nothing out of it. No one appreciated me, so why bother? You know? Or I serve and it's like, did you see me? Did you see me? Did you see me? I did this and I did that. No one ever says thank you. No one ever says thank you to me. I get unnoticed. And, but the heart of sonship... Service that is motivated by a deep gratitude for being unconditionally loved and accepted by God. Why did I cook a big stew? You think I've got time to cook a big stew in my life? The barbecue broke down on Wednesday. We had a wad of steak that we needed to barbecue up for these, you know, homeless people and people in need. And what are we going to do? We We haven't got a stove or an oven in the kitchen. So I said, you drop that big slab of meat around my place and some veggies, I'm going to make the biggest stew you've ever seen. And it took me all night. It was massive. It was like this. Why did I do that? Because I have such a gratitude, such an unconditional love for the Father's house, for the Father's people, 
for, for, for Him, that I do that out of love. You know, and I'm crying as I'm cooking, cutting the carrots because I'm going, these people are going to eat this and they're going to love it because they're going to be loved. They're going to feel like they're loved. And as I watched them eat it the next day, it was like, I got so, and I'm not a cook. I'm not someone that gets a buzz out of cooking. Believe you me, my family will tell you that. I cook out of necessity, not out of love. But, but it, had, it had that feeling of unconditional love, service that is motivated by a deep gratitude for being unconditionally loved and accepted by God. Motive behind Christian disciplines, the orphan heart, duty and earning God's favour and or no motivation at all. Like I don't even, I'm not even going to, I know people like that. I am not even going to be trying to be good for God because I'll never be good enough. So why even bother? And they just continue to sin as Christians. Or there's that duty of earning God's favour. I'm going to be good and then he'll love me. I'll be good and then he'll love me. I'll be good and then he'll love me. And you never feel good enough in your own heart. But the heart of sonship, there's pleasure and delight in Christian disciplines because you know that you're becoming more like him, amen? Like every time I choose, I make a choice to do the right thing, to think the right thing, to say the right thing, to act in the right way. I know I'm being like Jesus and I want to be like Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody else want to be like him? Because I think he's the perfect example. And I want to be that. I want to be that because I, want to, I love him and I want to be like him. And as I behold him, I become like him. As I try and do things the way he would do them, I become like him. Motive for purity. And I'm nearly done. The orphan heart must be holy to have God's favor, favor thus increasing a sense of shame and guilt. You know, anybody in the room ever feel like, you know, you make a mistake, you blow it in some area and you just can't get back up. You got so much shame and so much guilt, you know, but that is not how God designed us to live. His grace is sufficient for us for his power is made perfect in our weakness. And he is there with grace to come and lift us up and, 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 and you know, when, the, when a little child is learning to walk and they fall over, Jonathan, do you come and smack your son when he was learning to walk? And he said, how dare you fall over? How dare you? You've shamed me as your father. You've fallen over and you're supposed to be walking, you stupid boy. Or do you come and go, come on, get up. You can do it. Just take another step. That's the heart of a father, amen? And the heart of sonship says, I want to be holy. I do not want anything to hinder my intimate relationship with God. I love it. You know, before I put my kids to bed every night, my girls, I would go in and I would pray over them and I would say, oh, thank you so much for being such a good girl today. And they would, inadvertently, especially Jessie, who had a very strong conscience, would say to me, Mom, you know I lied today. You know I did this today. She would just come and do a big confession. And she'd be crying. I just feel so bad, Mom. And I'd say, Jessie, Mommy forgave you. And therefore, it doesn't exist anymore. So when I put you to bed and I say, thank you for being such a good girl today, it means you're a good girl today. Because the old has passed, the new has come. It's been buried in Jesus' name. So the heart of sonship, positive and affirmed, because you know you have such value in God. This is self-image. I didn't do this one, did I? Self-image is self-rejection from comparing yourself with others. I mean, we could spend a week on that as far as Instagram and Facebook and the day that we live in, comparing ourselves with everybody else. We could spend a week on that. No wonder we're a mess. 
But you need to get in the heart of the Father. You need to get in the Father's face and be positively affirmed because you know you have such value in God. Source of comfort. People that have orphan hearts seek comfort in counterfeit affections, addictions, compulsions, escapism, busyness, and hyper-religious activity. I mean, we're all probably guilty of that at some stage or another. But the heart of sonship seeks times of quietness and solitude to rest in the Father's presence and in His love. Please put your phones down. Please turn the TV off. Have times where you can hear Him. How are you going to know what He's saying about you if you never listen? Listen. He's waiting to speak to you. Your Father is longing to speak to you. Peer pressure, peer relationships. The orphan heart has competition, rivalry, jealousy towards others, success and position. You see the big brother in the story right here. And the heart of sonship, humility and unity as you value others and are able to rejoice in their blessings and successes. I was so proud of my husband just recently when he got down on one knee in front of the whole Hope You See Church and welcomed Darlene and Mark Cheek to the Central Coast and asked forgiveness for the way that they may have been judged by other people. I, I was just so proud of him, you know, that, and he's copped heaps for that. I'll tell you that, he's copped heaps for that. But I'm telling you this, he knew he was doing what God had told him to do. And as a heart of sonship, he had humility and unity as he valued others that are more valuable than him and rejoices in their blessings and in their successes. That's what my husband had that day, a heart of a son. Amen. Handling others' faults, the orphan heart, accusation and expo exposure in order to make yourself look good by making others look bad. And the heart of sonship, love covers as you seek to restore others in a spirit of love and gentleness. You're going to get to take these home, by the way, so you'll get to look at them. The view of authority, see authority as a source of pain, distrustful towards them, and a lack of heart attitude of submission. I think the, the church on the Central Coast is rife with this. And we as people, we have to fight with everything that we've got inside of us to say, no, I'm going to submit, I'm going to honour, I'm going to love the authority that's been put in place by God because the heart of sonship is respectful, honouring. You see them as ministers of God for good in your life. Your view of admonition, that's correction. The orphan heart has difficulty receiving admonition. You must be right so you easily get your feelings hurt and close your spirit to discipline. But the heart of sonship sees the receiving of admonition as a blessing and a need in your life so that your faults and weaknesses are exposed and put to death. But I also see that as fathers and mothers take their place, as Pastor Phil said before, the hearts of the fathers turn to the children, the hearts of the children turn to the fathers. The spiritual fathers and mothers take their place. They've got lessons to learn that, that, that they long to share with you so you don't make the same mistakes. That's basically it. The expression of love. An orphan heart is guarded, conditional, based upon others' performances as you seek to get your own needs met. The heart of sonship is open, patient and affectionate as you lay your life and agendas down in order to meet the needs of others. The sense of God's presence. The orphan heart is conditional and distant from God. The heart of sonship is close and intimate. That's where we want to be, don't we? The condition of the heart, and I'll have the band up, please.
We'll sing that song that Doug was singing, if you don't mind. The orphan heart is in bondage. It's in bondage. The heart of sonship is true liberty and true freedom. Position. The, heart of open, the orphan heart feels like a servant or a slave. The heart of sonship feels like a son or a daughter. Vision. Spiritual ambition, earnest desire for some spiritual achievement and distinction, the willingness to strive for it, a desire to be seen and counted among the mature. But the heart of sonship, to daily experience the Father's unconditional love and acceptance and then be sent as a representative, to, with his, and a representative of his love to family and others. You know, there's something about the heart of sonship where you can have this daily experience in the Father's unconditional love. You know, this morning I got up early, like, I just said, God, I just want to be with you. I woke up and, you know, it's like the sun wasn't quite up yet. The, you know, it wasn't quite light. And I was laying in bed and I was lonely for him. I was lonely for him. And I must, he must have been lonely for me too because I could feel him wooing me and calling me. Now, what's more important, sleep or going and sitting in his presence and finding out what dad has to say to me, to sit under his unconditional love and just let him wash over me in the early hours of the morning when no one is around and let him tell me that he's proud of me and that he loves me. The future, the orphan heart will fight for what you can get. The heart of sonship completely releases inheritance I thank you Lord today Lord that we're in this space and after we pray I'm going to we're going to hand out sheets that have got all those that I just read out on them with some chocolate because a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down and you can take it home and eat your chocolate and look through the list but listen the worst thing you can do is come into condemnation because that is the enemy. He is the father of all lies and he brings condemnation. But God is trying to bring you into freedom, out of lies. And there may just be one thing on that list that just goes, whoa, just jumps out at you. I know last week there was one thing on that list that jumped at me. And I just, God, why am I thinking like that? I know you love me. I know who I am in you, Jesus. Why am I thinking like that? And he took me back to a memory when someone had said something to me that had deposited a lie, which made me think differently about my relationship with God. And I asked you, Jesus, if that lie is in there and I see that lie is controlling the way that I respond or react to you or to other people, then Lord, I ask that you would expose the lie and that you would bring me the truth. So for instance, if the lie is, Stephen, someone said to you once, you'll never accomplish anything. And that just comes up in your mind as you're praying. Jesus, show me the lie. And then you see the school teacher that says, you'll never accomplish anything, Stephen. Well, there's the lie. And then you say, Jesus, the lie is I'll never accomplish anything. And that's how I approach you, that I'm never going to accomplish anything. I feel stupid. I feel like dumb. I don't achieve anything. But Jesus, what, what is the truth? 
Father, what do you say? And then you wait and you hear the Father's voice or Jesus' voice or the Holy Spirit, depending on what the the lie is, because either one of them will come. And then you hear the voice say to you, Stephen, I've created you for greatness. That's it. And Stephen goes, see, you can say that to yourself a million times. I've been created for greatness. I'm going to stand on the Scriptures. I'm going to walk on the Scriptures. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to confess it until I get it. But I'll tell you this. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free when the truth is spoken by the one who is truth. The one who is truth speaks truth. That truth penetrates your heart, changes you forever, and you will never come under that lie again. So I ask you to take these home. Don't beat yourself up and go, well, I've got a list of 20 and I have got to do 20 in a week or whatever. Just maybe in the next six months, God might bring one up. And, and he just loves that and he just, he just brings you freedom in that one area. Then maybe another six months, he might bring another one up. He might do it quicker than that for you. He might, he might just say, you've got like 19 of these right and there's only one we have to work on. We're all different. But I think as we surrender ourselves to becoming more like Jesus, because we have a Father that has an inheritance for us that He wants to pour out on this earth, and His sons and daughters need to be ready to receive the full inheritance. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.